you will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of birth pains. Then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death, and you will be hated by all nations because of me. What you are about to hear is real. The prophets wrote of a time when the signs of the end would be seen. This is where Bible prophecy and current events collide. This is Unsealed. Yes, friends, welcome back to Unsealed. Christopher Manti is me, your host and guide through this crazy world of uh, current events and prophecy. And hello, uh, we are live streaming on the End Time Church app, by the way. Hi. Forgive me if I don't look at you in the face uh, for this program. Uh, but for those of you who want to catch it that way, and if you don't have the app, go get it right now. I just go to the Apple App Store, Google Play Store. It's completely free. Uh, and it's awesome, dude. We've got like two thousand 2100 um folks literally around the world who are on it and are fellowshipping and reading and learning and and posting and just being real and having prayer meetings and um discipleship and all that stuff on the app that's called the church right uh, that's being the church of Jesus that's being the body of Christ and so that's always what um, I'm after here, uh, through Wings of the Eagle, End Time Church, or and uh, Iron Faith Fellowship, or wherever else uh, God has me serving. Uh, that's always the goal, all right? It's to make disciples, um, engage with the Holy Spirit, learn from the Word of God, right? All that good stuff. That's what we're called to do as believers, and... Um, so, by the way, uh, so those of you who are watching on the app, if you want to ask something or, or put some kind of comment or whatever in while this is happening, feel free to do so. I'll see it on the screen. I hope I do. Um, and then I'll get to it. Okie dokie. But this is not going out on Facebook or YouTube uh, live like we have been doing recently because just because. Felt like it shouldn't today. No reason. So, this one is interesting. By the way, this is episode 25. That's right. Yep, 25 of this podcast, uh, which we surely could appreciate you sharing um, and contributing to. If you go to unsealedpodcast.com, there's a form right on there to donate to keep us going because it is not free to do. It is not free to use the software that we do. And um, so please, yeah, if you're led to or if you're blessed by this, share it, number one. That's free and easy. And then if you'd like to give something, please do so. Right there on the site. You can also see lots of free resources there. There's a book available. There's points you right to the app that I just talked about. There's an online course. Uh, all about the end times. It's called the end times for beginners. Um, and yeah, so I'm just a pastor and brother in the Lord. Probably reverse order. Uh, definitely reverse order of that. Just a guy who doesn't know how he got here other than the Lord uh, is gracious and good. 
And the, oh, the book, of course, Flee to the Mountains. You want to get that as well because that's pertinent to your walk today and tomorrow. Whether it's you or your generation or somebody soon to come, somebody's got to go uh, prepare the places in the mountains where the Jews of Israel will flee from the Antichrist. Just being real, all right? You can always ask questions, again, live here, or there's a form on the site, or email if you want questions at unsealedpodcast.com. Okay, so go check out our previous episodes, please. We're doing little snippets of prophetic scriptures and not much commentary, so let's do that today. Revelation chapters 1 through 3 um, cover the seven churches. And so I titled this uh, the seven end-time churches, question mark, um, because they're the basic interpretation over the years of these seven churches, and we'll read the scripture in a second, is that they, are, they were all first century churches, assemblies of believers in Jesus, Christians, um, real gatherings in cities, called by those cities' names, the church at Thyatira, the church at Ephesus, etc. Well, we know that's true, right? We have, for example, Paul's letter to the Ephesians is written to the church in Ephesus, so there is a church uh, of believers in Ephesus in the first century, there's no doubt. Um, but reading the content of the letters, it's kind of almost bizarre that this would apply to the first century believers. Um, obviously, some things Jesus says are always true in any time zone, right? In any period, um, it's the truth. So believe it and use it. Uh, but then there's some stuff in there that says, wait a minute, this kind of sounds like preparation for the rest of the book. So we'll see that, I think. Um, and the other popular way of looking at interpretation of these seven churches is they weren't just first century churches and that died out or grew or metastasized, what have you, over time, but that they're actually seven dispensations or periods of church history. In other words, from the Acts of the Apostles would be the first church Jesus mentions. Uh, all the way to some non-specific period, and then moving on to the second church phase, the third, fourth, fifth, sixth, and seventh, and then when the seventh church, that is the, actually the end-time church. That's the last church that exists before Jesus returns, and that's the seventh. And I get that. I mean, that's logical. I understand that. Uh, it's cool if that were the case. You know, it's not necessarily bad or untrue, you know, on its face. Um... But I always need a little more evidence than being a good, cool idea, right? Like, why do we assign this to that period and this to that period, and why, right? What makes the Middle Age Church identify with this particular um, one of the seven, etc.? And where is the basis for that exactly in the text? That's the the only problem. You know, only question really we should be asking is where is this in the Scripture itself? Because God's word proves itself. Amen? It witnesses to itself. We really don't have to interpret anything. The Holy Spirit is with us, and it's already written. Boom. 
Um, so let's take a look. Okay, so that's the, again, those are the um, historical, you know, ways it has been understood in the past. A, that it was just all in the first century church, churches. They were written to them, and for some reason Jesus uh, decided that it would be good to have the letters published for all time, for one in all time, in the Holy Scriptures, about these seven little individual churches in what we call Turkey today, and no other churches. What about the church in Rome? What about the church in Jerusalem? What about... That's right. They're not mentioned in the seven churches. Why, what's up? So anyways, there's that whole um, dynamic. Okay, so let's take a look, uh, starting in Revelation chapter 1, verse 10. This is the setup, obviously. Uh, for John, the one who received the revelation, he is exiled. I, John, your brother, let's go to verse 9. I, John, your brother and companion in the tribulation. Fascinating turn of phrase there by John. It makes you think, makes me think, you're companion in the tribulation and kingdom and patient endurance which are in Jesus Yeshua was on the island called Patmos exiled there because of my preaching of or because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ so he's in prison thrown away on an island now legend has it that he was exiled there because they couldn't kill him Apparently, like the other apostles, they tried to martyr him, but he it wouldn't work. That's allegedly. Um, that's why he was on the island. Um, so, verse 10. I was in the Spirit. We know what that means? He's talking to the Lord. I mean, in the Spirit. Holy Spirit. On the Lord's day. That's another red flag comment to me. What is the Lord's Day, and why is it capitalized? Is this some random Sunday morning? Because that's what the tradition holds. Even though at this point, they were probably still worshiping on Saturday, Sabbath. The Lord's Day would be different. The one he rose from the dead on a Sunday? I get it, and I get it. That's where our that's where our Sunday has come from, right, as Christians. We, we say we call it the Lord's Day because of this scripture, basically. Um, and I get the Sunday connection, um, the resurrection, and so forth. But anyway, it's interesting, right? Because there is a thing called the Day of the Lord. It's the same phrase, Lord's Day, Day of the Lord. Well, the Day of the Lord is an eschatological term. It's an Old Testament meaning the, the return of Jesus. And that just happens to be the title of this book, the Revelation, the Second Coming, the Return of Jesus Christ. So, anyways, he was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day. You know when you're in the Spirit, you can be transported to different places, right? In prayer. Okay. Uh, and I heard from behind me a loud voice, like the sound of a trumpet, saying, Write on a scroll what you see, or what you are about to be shown, and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamum, to Thyatira, to Sardis, to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. Those are the names, obviously, of seven cities with Christians in them. That's the base level 
understanding, right? Then, verse 12, I turned to see the voice that was speaking with me, and after turning, I saw seven golden lampstands or candlesticks. And in the midst of the lampstands or candlesticks, I saw someone like the Son of Man. Who's the Son of Man? Jesus, Daniel 7. Dressed in a robe, reaching to his feet with a golden sash around his chest. His head and hair were white like wool, glistening white. By the way, don't listen to anyone who would deceive you into saying he has wool-like hair in terms of how it appears, the texture or the curliness like wool. No, white like wool. Okay. Uh, white like snow. And his all-seeing, that's the insertion of the Amplified Bible there, and his eyes were flashing the flame of fire. His feet were burnished bronze like white hot. Refined in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of many waters. And that's a whole bunch of references right there. In his right hand he held seven stars, and from his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was shining like the sun in all its power or its strength. And when I saw him, I fell fell at his feet as though dead, and he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last, the ever-living one. I died. But see... I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Sheol, Hades the grave. So write the things which you have seen, or will see, and the things which are, and the things which will take place after these things. As for the mystery of the seven stars you saw in my right hand, so Jesus knows what we're thinking and what we're marveling at, and the seven golden lampstands or candlesticks. First of all, the seven candlestick is a menorah. Right? That's biblical. That's Old Testament. Uh, And the seven golden lampstands. The seven stars are the angels, or messengers. That's what angel means, messenger. Of the seven churches. And the seven lampstands, or candlesticks, are the seven churches. Right? So we have a vision of Jesus in the middle of the churches, but they're all connected. The seven lampstands are not individually separated, I don't believe. I think it's clearly like a Mount Sinai moment or a temple uh, tabernacle moment where there's a seven, like we see in, uh, in the Torah, okay, when he's instructed, when God delivers the pattern, and then Moses delivers the message, which is there is seven candlesticks, but they're all attached, and they're all into one root system. That's where they get the oil from to light them on fire. And so, yes, they're seven, but they're one. That, to me, is a wonderful picture of the church, period. All believers, one body, different members, same spirit within them, the holy oil, olive oil. Um... And then the outgrowth of that, the fire itself, the... Anyways, it's awesome. Of the whole church, so there's seven, but yet it's one. And he is in the middle of them. Jesus is the church. He's the head of the church. And he's right there with us. So that's awesome. So now we get a breakdown now of these seven churches who are yet one. And by the way, these are in the, again... Region of Yavon, geographically Yavon. What is Yavon? That's Asia Minor. That says the seven churches in Asia. Sometimes you'll see in your Bible. That's Turkey, okay? That's the western coastlands 
of Turkey. Now, you, if you look at that expression, the coastlands, the coastlands of the West, the coastlands of the Gentiles, that's all the way back to Genesis, that's Isaiah, that's many of the prophets. Um, of course, the book of Daniel says, look at this land of Yavon, this kingdom that's there. So it's very, very powerful and impactful, right? Um, and why are we told that John's on Patmos, where he was exiled? Because Patmos was an island off the coast, but if you looked at, back to the mainland from that island, you can see basically where all these seven churches were. So it's just an interesting um, sidebar there. I'm sorry for the video if it's shaking on you. Uh, maybe it's being stabilized by my phone, but that's what happens when I get to speaking. I get to shaking. Um, my desk. All right, let's go. Revelation 2. To the angel of the church of Ephesus, write. These are the words of the one who holds the seven stars in his hand. Seven angels of the seven churches. I don't even, honestly, to this point, I'm not even sure what that means. I'm, uh, most Christians probably have no clue either. What does that mean? An angel, each church has an angel? Does this mean just a messenger boy? Is it, does it mean angel at all? Is it a mistranslation? Is he just told to give, write this down and give it to some errand person to have them run it over to the mainland? As if you could just leave Patmos? I don't know. Or they're really angels over churches, or the church of Jesus are protected by angels. Anyway, something to think about. These are the ones, the words of the one who holds the seven stars in the right hand, the one who walks among the seven golden lampstands, the seven churches. I know your deeds, Ephesus, and your toil, and your patient endurance. Those are good. And that you cannot tolerate those who are evil and have tested and critically appraised those who call themselves apostles and, in fact, are not false apostles, false sent ones. We, Jesus did not send them. Are not and have found them to be liars and impostors. And you who are enduring patiently are bearing up for my name's sake, and that you have not grown weary. Also very good. So, a bunch of good checkboxes to this church. But, I do have this against you. That you have left your first love. Well, that's Jesus himself. So they're doing the right stuff, and they're enduring, and they're you know good with their doctrine, and they're recognizing false apostles, but yet they don't love him. That's a problem. That's a big problem. Was this only a problem in the first century? Was this only a problem for one church in one place in the first century? Seems like they've endured for a long time. So right off the bat, this this theory of um, dispensational churches, like this is the first one in history, uh, how could they lose their love for Jesus? It, they're the first ones. They're the ones who actually either knew him, saw him, heard direct from the sources, the apostles themselves. 
I don't know. It seems kind of bizarre that you would be talking about you've lost your first love already. Anyway, you've left your first love for him. So remember the heights from which you have fallen and repent. Do the works you did at first when you loved me. Otherwise, I will visit you and remove your lampstand from its place. Unless you repent. Remove your lampstand. That's the church itself. Seems like there's a problem with your salvation. If you're not part of the church, if a church is removed, if you're not part of the body of Christ, what does that mean? You're not saved anymore. That's for sure. Um, otherwise, I'll visit you. Remove your lampstand unless you repent. Yet, you do have this to your credit. That you ha- hate the works and corrupt teachings of the Nicolaitans. Which also I hate. Is he referring... Again, this is one of those mysterious portions also. Is he referring to the false apostles that he just talked about? I think that's probable. But it's some doctrine that he hates. So again, they're good on doctrine. They're good on that. And he got it right. It was just that love thing for Jesus, which is kind of mandatory. That's why they have to repent, even though they got all this stuff right. right? You know churches like that today, don't you? Or particular preachers or pastors, famous super mega church people? Maybe. Or even the whole denominations or older denominations. Well, their doctrine's good. It's solid. They're, they know what, what's what, right? They know all the regulations and uh, what you should believe and why and can go right to the scripture on it. They're boom, boom, boom. They're good with it. But the love part is missing. To, now, here's the bottom line, the end of the letter. He who has an ear... Let him hear and heed what the Spirit says to the churches. He's only writing to one, but yet he's signing it for all of them. To him who overcomes, I will grant him to eat from the fruit of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. The tree of life in the paradise of God, that's Genesis. And of Obviously, if you read the book of Revelation at the end, that's exactly what we see. We see the tree of life back in Jerusalem, back on the earth, and the nations come and eat of it, and all who believe can partake. So, overcome is the key word to me in this. Why I, I, don't, I don't see how this can apply to the first century, Period. Whether it's the you know the the original church at Ephesus, I mean I don't know I could be wrong, but the language is something that it's like well we're going to hear all about overcoming in Revelation twelve we are told strongly about what overcoming means to Jesus. Okay. We're going right to the end end of the end times there, right? If those who, he who overcomes will eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. So pretty cool. 
message to Smyrna says, verse 8, And to the angel of the church of Smyrna write, These are the words of the first and the last who died and came to life again. I know your suffering and your poverty, but you are rich. And how you are blasphemed and slandered by those who say they are Jews, but are not, but are synagogue of Satan. And there's a note in the Amplified that is very, very helpful. I hope this is where a lot of people turn into anti-Semites or say that the Jews today are not real Jews because they don't know why exactly, just they don't like them. Uh, They are Jews only by blood, but do not believe and honor the God whom they claim to worship. That's the note in the Amplified Bible. And that's very good. And this is goes back to John's Gospel. When Jesus would call, you know, this generation of vipers, and um, yeah, I know your ancestor was Abraham, and you follow Moses, but you don't really do it. You're trying to get by on your uh, birthright alone and reject the Messiah. It doesn't work like that. So that's what he's talking about, right? They're being persecuted by, like Paul's letters, would often bring up the fact that... um, the the Jewish leadership want, didn't like this whole Christianity thing, stealing what they're viewing as stealing the Jews away, making them into Christians, and, and that's still happening today to this day, right? That's a charge of the Orthodox Jews that if you believe in Yeshua, all of a sudden you're not Jewish anymore, and you're trying to take something, you know, identity away. Of course, that's the ridiculous. It's the complete opposite of that. That you could, the most Jewish thing you can do as a Jewish person is to accept the Jewish Messiah. Anyway, that's what Revelation 2 is talking about. You'll see it in chapter 3 also. Verse 10, Fear nothing that you are about to suffer. Oh, Lord, Western Church, listen up. Fear nothing that you are about to suffer. So this is looking forward, right? Be aware that the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested, your faith may be tested. And for ten days you will have tribulation. So, throwing into prison, tribulation. Why 10 days? Not really sure right now. Be faithful to the point of death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear and heed what the Spirit says to the churches. Again, churches plural. He who overcomes. Same ending as the last letter. He who overcomes will not be hurt by the second death, the lake of fire. Again, go, zooming right to the end of the book. Though he's connecting twice now in a row the churches, the seven churches with the end of the book. But the paradise of God, it restored Eden, the tree of life, and now the second death. Well, the second death, like a fire, that doesn't even come into play. It doesn't even exist, to be honest with you, before Jesus returns. No one's in the lake of fire now. The lake of fire doesn't exist today. Did you know? The first inhabitants are the beast and the false prophet. And the fallen angels. None of them are in there yet. So I don't even think it's, it exists yet, honestly. Um, I think it's at when Jesus returns, he actually creates it. But that's just my opinion. <clears throat> but again, why are we going from the first century church of Ephesus? I mean, uh, 
Smyrna. By the way, all these words mean something. Smyrna is a, is a fig fruit. It's from the Smyrna fig. It's a type of thing you eat. Uh, <clears throat> we will not be hurt by the second death. So we're zooming right to the end. What does that have to do with the first century um, in, in Smyrna? I'm not sure. Verse 12, And to the angel of the church of Pergamum, or Pergamos, write, These are the words of him who has and wields the sharp two-edged sword. You know, Revelation 19, that sends you again right to the end of the book. This is what he is holding, Isaiah. He's holding this sword, or it comes out of his mouth. That's Revelation 1 also. That when he returns, that's what he uses to judge the nation and to fight against those who would fight against Israel. That sword. Verse 13, I know you, I know where you dwell, where you live, where Satan seat is. Satan sits enthroned, etc. Satan's seat, Satan's throne. In Pergamum or Pergamos. One of the seven churches in Turkey. Again, it's geographic, okay? And somehow it says Satan sits there. And some people want to say this is some kind of statue and it's really Zeus or something. Now, I get it. I mean, it was a real thing and big architectural treasure and blah, blah, blah. And some people say this is where people were sacrificed as martyrs and you read that here yet you are holding fast to my name so you live in a bad city you are holding fast to my name you did not deny my faith or faith in me even as in the days of antipas my witness my faithful one who was killed martyred among you where satan dwells so wait he's going to the past the days of antipas that's just we think just a man's name says my witness Uh, where Satan dwells. So he's he's actually saying Satan himself lives there. Process that for a while. Um. So some kind of throne of Satan is there. But I have a few things against you. Because even though some of you there are holding on to the corrupt teaching of Balaam, because some of you are holding on to the corrupt teaching of Balaam, which that's the book of Numbers, right? Who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel, enticing them to eat things that have been sacrificed to idols and commit acts of sexual immorality. The doctrine of Balaam. Balaam was, right, a prophet. He heard directly from God. We're not sure if he was of Israel or, or what, but he he tried, and he was a paid to, he was bribed, to prophesy against Israel to bring God's wrath on his own people, it didn't work out so well. And in fact, in Numbers uh, 24, right, it's actually one of the first prophecies in the whole Bible about the end times. In fact, it probably is, unless you count this Genesis 3, um, where uh, Balaam says, I see a star rising out of, right? I see a star rising, but not now. It's far off, etc., uh, verse 15, you have, you also have some in the same way who are enticing the sons of Israel to uh, eat this thing, sacrifice to idols, commit sexual immorality, or holding on to the teaching of the Nicolaitans. That's again repeating earlier. Therefore, repent, or else I'm coming to you quickly, and I will make war, Revelation 19, 
and fight against them. Who's them? The ones in your church. Your church. With the sword of my mouth. Wait a second. I didn't think Christians were subject to this. If they don't repent, Christians still have to repent, apparently. This is now the third letter in a row we're reading this. There's, n- there's nothing in any of this text that says they are false Christians or false believers. Or they never accepted the gospel. Or that there's something, some other category of church member. No. If you're part of the church of Ephesus, part of the church of Smyrna, of the church of Pergamum, that means you're a Christian in that city. That's all it means. That's all it's ever meant. But yet, repent, repent, repent. I'll remove your lampstand. And now here, I'm going to come at you with the sword in my mouth? Whoa, I don't want any of that, Jesus. No, you don't. Fight against them? I don't want Jesus fighting me. Then, closing. He who has an ear, let him hear and heed what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, here we are again, to him I will give some of the hidden manna. Again, going back to the Torah. And I will give him a white stone with a new name engraved on the stone, which no one knows except the one who receives it. Whoa, that's a pretty awesome promise. Um, Mysterious, yeah, but cool. But again, to one who overcomes. How this applies to the past, I'm not sure at all. Especially when it says, I'm going to come and judge you with the sword of my mouth. He doesn't come with the sword of his mouth until Revelation 19, when he comes out of heaven charging on his white horse to return and claim the earth. So is it supposed to apply to the Christians in Pergamos for 2,000 years now? Is he warning them for 2,000 years? Hmm... Thyatira, verse 18, and to the angel of the church of Thyatira write, These are the words of the Son of God, who has eyes like flame of fire, whose feet are burnished bronze. I know your deeds, your love and faith and service and patient endurance, and that your last deeds are more numerous and greater than the first. Sounds great. It is great. That's fantastic to hear from Jesus, right? But I have this against you. That you tolerate the woman Jezebel, again, for, for going back to First, Second Kings, who calls herself a prophetess. So earlier we had false apostles. Now we've got false prophets, female ones. Calls herself a prophetess, and she teaches and misleads my servants so they commit acts of sexual immorality. Ah, that's a problem today. And eat food sacrificed to idols, which is, again, remember back in the book of Acts, when the Gentile church, when the Gentiles were starting to come into the fold, and, and Paul and Peter had that blow up where, well, they really don't have to become Jews, they just have to accept Jesus and repent and be saved and believe, and that's it. 
The only thing they shouldn't do, basically, is what? Not eat food sacrificed to idols and don't, you know, sexual immorality. Like, that's, that's, that was it. Remember the letter from Acts, the, from the letter, the Christians in Jerusalem, the elders there to the Gentile churches. Here, this is the official stance of disciples of Yeshua. Say, yes, you are a believer. It doesn't matter where you came from. You don't have to be a Jew. You don't have to get circumcised. Just do those things. But yet, these believers in this Gentile location in Turkey um, were, were going against the, the very simple, minimal conditions. And it's because a false prophetess told them it was okay. Uh, verse 21, I gave her time to repent, her, the prophet, the false prophets, the, the Jezebel. I don't think it's one person, guys. I really don't. I don't see this as one individual that Jesus happens to point out her name, and it just so happens to be the name of the lady in the Old Testament who wanted to kill Elijah and provide a false god and a false witness and to be permissive. And to, I don't think it's a coincidence at all. I don't think there was a woman in history that you can point out and say, this was who Jesus was talking about. And why only one? I don't know. It doesn't make sense to me. I think this is a symbol. I think this is a symbolic woman. I think it's any false prophetess. It could even be men also, any false prophet. Uh, but it's certainly, there's a sexual um, connotation to this whole thing where she's a prophetess and she's seducing you to come away and to be sexually moral with her, okay? And to disobey the simple, simple, basic foundational rules and regulations about being a Christian. I gave her time to repent. Even the false can repent. But she has no desire to repent of her immorality and refuses to do so listen carefully i will throw her on a bed of sickness or sick bed and those who commit adultery with her right that's it they've been seduced into being adulterous with her sexually immoral i will bring into great anguish these are christians in a church who he's threatening I will bring them into great anguish unless they repent of their deeds, of her deeds. Repent of what she has allowed them to do or convinced them of. And I will kill her children. Again, this is a sexual image of uh, you've, you've had an inappropriate relationship with her and you've been in bed with her and now she's even gotten pregnant and had children because of that wrong relationship. And I will kill her children, or it's the notes maybe say followers. Maybe those are her followers. Point is, it's an image, you guys. With pestilence, that's disease. And all the churches will know, without any doubt, that I am he who searches the minds and hearts. And I will give to each one of you according to your deeds. You can't hide. You can't say, I'm not one of these guys who was with Jezebel. 
But to the rest of you in Thyatira who do not hold this teaching, so there's different camps even in the same church, who have not explored and known the depths of Satan, as they call them, I have no other burden on you. I place no other burden on you, except to hold tightly what you have until I come. So the depths of Satan, quote-unquote, is Jezebel and what she tells you to do. The false prophetess. Eat things, sacrifice to idols, and be sexually immoral. That's the depths of Satan. And that's the message Satan has for the church, even now. Ah, don't worry about it. You can do this stuff. You're cool. You're still a, You're still in good. Hmm. Verse 26, And he who overcomes, again, and he who keeps my deeds, that's an extra, until the very end, to him I will give authority and power over the nations, and he shall shepherd and rule them with a rod of iron as the earthen pots are broken in pieces as I also have received authority from my Father. Wow. Again, what is this? this is Psalm 2. This is later in Revelation, Revelation 12 again, about the one who rules him with the rod of iron. Of course, that's Jesus during the millennium. And he's going to give that power and authority to his followers who stay with him, faithful and true, when he returns until that day, until the very end. This is a post-trib Jesus here. You understand? I have also received authority from my Father, and I will give him the morning star. Remember, Satan calls himself that too. But Jesus says, I am the morning star. Anyway, it's kind of a mysterious aspect again about um, what's going to happen when he comes, and rewards are handed out, but it's awesome. He who has an ear, let him hear and heed. Heed what the Spirit says to the churches. All right, let's go. What? Uh, how long have we been going on here? Too long. Too long. Uh, let's take a break, and then we'll be back with the last three churches. Daniel the prophet was told his words are sealed until the time of the end. That time has come. Uh, yeah, it really has, guys. I think the unsealing has is occurring and has occurred. That's why we call the show this. And it's a very exciting time, right? But it's also full of um, pressure sometimes, isn't it? Okay, let's finish this out. Revelation 3. To the angel of the church of Sardis write, These are the words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your deeds. You have a name, a reputation, that you are alive, but in reality you are dead. How's that to hear that as the church? Wake up and strengthen and reaffirm what remains of your commitment to me, which is about to die, for I have not found any of your deeds completed in the sight of my God or meeting his requirements. So remember and take heart to heart the lessons you have received and heard. 
keep and obey them and repent. He's telling nearly every church to repent. Why would he do that if we don't need to? I mean, again, is this only a first century problem? Or even if you take the other view that these are churches over time, it seems like every period of church history we need repent, repentance in, our, in the body of Christ. Not, ah, everything's good to go, I'm fine. I've read the end of the book. I'm a paying tribber, whatever. Uh, Jesus got me. Okay. So then if you do not wake up, now listen to this. This goes along with the, the Paul's message in Thessalonians. If you do not wake up, I will come like a thief. Come like a thief? That's the second coming. That's the return of Jesus. I will come like a thief if you don't wake up. And you will not know at what hour I will come to you. That means you can wake up before he arrives and know when he's coming so it won't be like a thief in the night. How is that possible? Repentance. Keep his ways. Take to heart the lessons that you've learned. Strengthen, reaffirm, wake up because you're going to die. All to Christians, that message. Okay, but, verse 4, you still have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes, who are not guilty of this. Some, not a lot, some are not dead, a few, a remnant, isn't. They will walk with me dressed in white because they are worthy or righteous. He who overcomes, again, will accordingly be dressed in white clothing. Look at Revelation 6, look at Revelation 7. The wolves in white clothing are the martyrs. Those who are faithful get to be martyred. It sounds like what he's saying, if you take the whole book together. And I will never blot out his name from the book of life. That means some he will, including you who are in sin right now in the church. Blotted out from the book of life. And I will confess and openly acknowledge his name before my Father and before his angels. Wow. That's what I want. What do I want? What is my... You know, I want what God wants, but boy, that's the ultimate right there. He who has an ear, let him hear and heed what the Spirit says to the churches. And the angel of Philadelphia, the angel of the church of Philadelphia, write... Philadelphia, wow, is this America? Brotherly love, the church of the love of the brethren. These are the words of the Holy One, the true one, who has the key of David. He's the descendant of David and the root, right? The ancestor and descendant of David. Because there's a promise called the Davidic covenant. Anyway. He who opens and no one will be able to shut, and he who shuts and no one opens. This is again an Old Testament reference in uh, Kings or Chronicles. But the family of David. I know your deeds. See, I have set before you an open door. 
He just said, he who opens, no one can shut. I set before you an open door which no one is able to shut, for you have a little power and have kept my word. Well, I say, well, why only a little power? (laughs) They barely made it, I guess. But it's good. And you have kept my word and have not renounced or denied my name. Yay. Take note. I will make those of the synagogue of Satan, or assembly of Satan, could just as easily say church of Satan, okay? Or mosque of Satan, who say, but it's talking about what? Again, his people, the Jews who have rejected Jesus. I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say they are Jews but are not, but lie. I will make that. This is how he treats, again, this is all back to the Old Testament and the promises of the prophets about how they're cheating on him. His people who he called have adopted another god, following their own way, etc., etc., etc. Nothing really changes, but the point is, he's going to have an extra dose of discipline for the Jews. And that's exactly what the end of the age is about. That's exactly what happens during Jacob's trouble. Take those. uh, Note, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say they are Jews and are not, but lie. I will make them come and bow down at your feet and make them know that I have loved you. He tells the disciples in the Gospels the same thing. You will be sit on 12 thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. These are physical Jewish people who didn't believe, but now during the millennium, they sure will. And they'll know, yes, these other ones who followed the Messiah were correct, and we were not. Uh, and make them know that I have loved you. That's jealousy. That's called provoking the Jews to jealousy. That it's a love thing. It's a marriage thing. That we, even Gentiles, or Jewish believers, whatever, um, are beloved by their husband. And we make them jealous because they should say, hey, wait a minute, he's mine. But I have loved you. Because, verse 10, now here's a real tricky one that a lot of people get held up on in the rapture discussion. Because you have kept the word of my endurance, or the command to persevere, stay with it, I will keep you safe from the hour of trial, the hour which is about to come upon the whole world. About to come. Did, did the hour of trial which is about to come on the whole world happen in the first century? No, don't think so. Um... Did it apply to the, what is this, the fifth era of the church? About to come on the whole world to test those who live on the earth. I am coming quickly. Hold tight to what you have so that no one will take your crown. Apostate, being an apostate, that's how you get your crown taken away. You stop believing. You believe another Jesus or another spirit. No one will take your crown. He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he will most certainly never be put out of it. The millennial temple, or the eternal temple, right? This is all speaking of what's coming. The new Jerusalem. Oh, sorry, skipped the part. I'll make him a pillar in the temple of my God. He will most certainly never be put out of it, and I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the Holy the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which descends out of heaven from my God and my own new name. He who has an ear, 
Let him hear and heed what the Spirit says to the churches. And I'm not going to teach about why this is not talking about a rapture in verse 10, but we it's easy when you break down the original words there, that the word keep, if you kept the word of my endurance, it's the same word, I will keep you from the hour of trial. Same thing. Hold on tight um, to protect, to, to love, to... Um, Endure through, not remove from, so it can happen to someone else. You're going to get through it. That's what keep means. When you are kept from the hour of trial or the hour of temptation or hour of tribulation, however you want to look at it, that means you're protected in it so you won't lose your faith. It's nothing to do with not being here. The only way to not be here is to die. Either you die before it starts, or you're martyred. That's how you can, le- or st- or deny the faith, deny Jesus. Okay, we're almost done. Laodicea, to the angel of the church in Laodicea, write: These are the words of the Amen, the trusted and faithful and true witness, the beginning and origin of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm, useless, spiritually useless, neither neither hot nor cold, I will vomit you out of my mouth. But I thought we were once saved, always saved. This is a church he's talking to. Lukewarmness is not okay. It's not a state where you can just get through it and, and... I'm fine. I will vomit you out of my mouth because you say I am rich. Uh-oh. Prosperity gospel coming. You say I am rich and have prospered and grown wealthy and have need of nothing. This is what makes you lukewarm, America and Western churches. Because of your stuff that you've accumulated, you don't depend on God anymore. You don't need him for that. You say you have need of nothing, but you do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you, I suggest, you buy me, uh, from me, gold that has been heated red hot and refined by fire so that you may become truly rich. And put on white clothes to clothe yourself so that the shame of your nakedness will not be seen. So it's not too late, but boy, you better get on it. And you're going to have this red hot poker of, a, of, a, of gold that's going to hurt. Or to accept martyrdom, the white robe. Uh, put on the that robe, the white clothes, and healing salve to put on your eyes so that you may see. You're blind, he says. Open your eyes and see what the truth is. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. Behold, I will stand at the door of the church and knock continually. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. He who overcomes, I will grant to him 
to sit beside me on my throne. As I also overcame and sat down beside my father on his throne. How did Jesus overcome? The cross. Take up your cross. Be willing to go to a cross. He who has an ear, let him hear and heed, the Spirit says to the churches. Plural. That's it. Those are the seven churches, and I really have no other conclusion. I believe this for quite a while, and I, every time I read it, I, you know, I try to be open to say, well, if I'm mistaken about this, show me. I really don't see any other understanding that could be possible other than these are churches, the one end-time church into seven pieces because he tells them to overcome if you overcome I will do this the overcoming is an end time thing Revelation 12 to he who overcomes how do you overcome the devil the word of your testimony and the loving not your life even when faced with death that happens that theme comes up over and over and over and over again give a testimony love me and be my martyr. That's the consistent message to all the seven churches. Um, and now that's a theme that could you you can apply to all time, but that the language keeps coming up in the time of the end, the last three and a half years of history of this age, the tribulation hour, that hour of temptation, that hour of trial, uh, that time of Jacob's trouble, all the same time. So history is moving towards that. And I truly, again, I really believe that these seven churches, this one candlestick with seven candles on it, this one church from seven, seven churches in one, I really believe that is the end-time church. And uh, I wouldn't feel too awful safe in there if you're being convicted about um, falling victim to, or whatever, having to repent, Okay. So be about that, guys. Um, I love you so much. I did not realize this would go on for so long, but it has. So this is Unsealed, Pastor Christopher Manti. Uh, please reach out to me if you need anything. Repent, guys. Ask the Lord what you need to change, because a lot of us do need to change something. Get in with him. Get right with him. Fall in love with him all over again. Whatever is needed, do it and do it quickly. All right, guys. Um, I mean, Lord willing, we'll do this again. This has been unsealed. Maranatha, guys. Come, Lord Jesus. To hear previous episodes, to obtain resources, and to support this ministry, visit unsealedpodcast.com. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold but he who stands firm to the end will be saved